Father, I want to thank you for the chance to study your word. I want to thank you for people who are hungry for knowledge of you. Uh, so, Father, I pray that you would uh, speak through me today, give me wisdom and clarity, and, uh, and I pray you would help us to just understand you more as we are studying your Holy Spirit. Um, Father, uh, I also pray for, we have so many things, positive transitions going on in this church. We're excited about it. I pray that you would just give us diligence as uh, your work is preached. Father, I pray that we would be so diligent to make sure that we are doing everything we can to advance your kingdom and spread your gospel. Be glorified in us today and illuminate your word to us in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, uh, some kind of business to take care of. Uh, it, you might have noticed that um, right after this class, you would have gone, hopefully many of you, to church and found that there was an announcement that um, we are no longer going to have three services at Church of the Open Door. We are going to go to two services, a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock. The 9 o'clock is our heritage service that will be a little bit more traditional, not really the same as the 8.30. Uh, there's going to be an ensemble, there's going to be uh, more music, we're going to have a choir, uh, but it will be more traditional, more hymns and softer choruses and things like that. And then we have an 11 o'clock that's essentially what we do now, although maybe with the cranked up a little bit in volume. Uh, so one of the things we wanted to check out today, would this class prefer to meet at 11 o'clock. If we meet at 11, then you have the choice between the heritage service and the uh, what we call the encounter service in the RNC. Um, it'll be the same sermon in both, but different music, kind of a different styling for each of them. Uh, we could do that, you have the choice, or if everybody wants to go to the 11 o'clock, we could meet at the 9 o'clock hour, and we have our choice. So, could uh, show of hands, how many of you would prefer for this class to be held in the 11 o'clock service? Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. How many of you would prefer for it to be held in the nine? Oh, my. So, now, we're, we're, when I say that, we're saying you would rather meet at nine and then have class, uh, have class at nine and then be able to go to the 11 o'clock service. Okay, there's a majority for that. Yeah? No, I'm just... Oh, you're, you're supporting. Um, yeah, essentially, the regular time. Now, we probably will... I mean, like, obviously, we, we're not starting at 9. Um, so we won't start right on, probably. We'll have some fellowship time like we normally do. Um, well, that's, I was actually surprised. I was expecting people to want to uh, meet at 11 and have the choice. But that's cool. We can do that. We'll, we'll continue to meet at this block hour, and we'll be in good shape. Those of you who, if it really makes a difference, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I just can't do that, uh, have a, you can talk to me. But um, this might work out. I know for serving, some people uh, do service in the 9 o'clock. It makes a difference. Yeah. Maybe we should have this vote after people have a chance to test out the new different types of service. Because if the 11 o'clock is going to be different, maybe they should have a chance to do that. Well, it will only be barely, barely, barely different, if at all. Um, and in the meantime, and, and in the initial stages, it won't be that different. Um, you're just going to, little nuances here and there. Uh, but I, we can't, you have opened up an interesting thing. If, if we get into that and, it, and, and, you know, when people say, you know what, I am planning on maybe switching over and, and if the whole class is like, wow, I would really like to go to the Heritage, we could at that point probably move. I don't want us to jump around too much. Oh, that's, you're talking to the person who's in, in charge of scheduling. I can, I can put people wherever I want to put them. Yeah. So, that's right. And back. In fact, if I, we'll, we'll build a special room for us and we'll, um, 
We'll have a uh, jacuzzi and a classroom. We'll just it'll be a good time. All right. Um, all right. Well, here we go. Well, that's good. Well, hey, I wanted to say one thing. I last week I have to apologize. First of all, uh, my knowledge of pneumatology is lighter than any other area. And I was being so cautious not to spill over into bibliology, which I do know about, that I, I think I didn't do justice to our discussion of inspiration. And so I wanted to do a little remedial work today and I wanted to give you a definition of inspiration. Uh, I had a couple of people question about this. They were like, could you please just give us something? Because I'll, I'll admit that um, the uh, God-breathed study, uh, or the study of God-breathed in 2 Timothy 3.16 is a little broad. So uh, here's what we got, um, and you can copy this over if you want. Inspiration is God's, uh, and I would put uh, Holy Spirit in parentheses because we're speaking primarily of the Holy Spirit's work in this, is God's superintending human authors so that, comma, using their own individual personalities. Uh, that's not anywhere on that. We're, we're reviewing from last week. Yeah. Not anywhere on that piece of paper. I'm giving this to you from last week. Sorry, I thought I'd made that clear. Here, you're not going to find anything on there that's going to say this. I'm reading it to you because it's um, because it's something about last week. I wanted to. I'll I'll start over. I'll read really slow. Inspiration is God's, specifically the Holy Spirit. You could put in parentheses Holy Spirit. Inspiration is God's superintending human authors Inspiration is God's superintending human authors this that's you're going to you're going to know when we're when we're done with the whole thing you got to hear the whole sentence This is by the way this is uh, the John Douglas Morrison style of copying something he would read these things and I, I learned that like wow I um I have to keep listening I have to because the sentence won't make sense until it's over so, here we go. Inspiration is God's superintending human authors so that using their own individual personalities they composed and recorded without error all right. Uh, uh, composed and recorded without error. We'll read this over again. In the words of the original autograph. His revelation to man. Now we'll read it again. There were some who got it. I didn't want to stop for them. Um, here we go. I'm starting at the beginning again. Inspiration is God's superintending human authors so that using their own individual personalities they composed and recorded without error in the words of the original autographs his revelation to man. His, his, his revelation to man. So inspiration is God's superintending human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error in the words of the original autographs, his revelation to man. Uh, I liked the way that gets across a couple of things. Um, 
focuses on his control over the project, uh, focuses on the fact that the individual personalities of the authors are there, but that, that the very words of the original autographs are God's inspiration. So that it brings in that clarity that it is God's, the very detailed, down to the very word is God's, but that he is superintending making sure that the personalities of the individual authors is there. Does anybody need that read one more time? You, you all can come. I'll, I'll show this to you afterwards, too. I'll read it one more time, though. Inspiration is God's superintending human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they captured, or I'm sorry, they composed and recorded without error in the words of the original autographs, his revelation to man. Does that definition make sense? Good. Hey, yeah. All right. That's good. I like it. Oh, yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. When we're saying the words of the original autograph, we're saying that first piece of paper that they wrote on. So that um, that first piece of parchment, that the original autographs is that is the very first. You know, if I was writing a letter to my wife, that first draft, that roll, that first. Copy. I don't want to be careful to say first draft, although, yeah, that first copy is the original letter. The original letter to Romans that Paul actually sent over to the Romans. That one, that one is the one that is inspired. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense? Making sense? Because that is really important that it's the original autographs. Um, now, I believe that the Holy Spirit was at work protecting as it was trans uh, was as it was copied over which we'll talk about in bibliology but um but it's important that it it was the original autograph itself that was inspired that's we'll get more into that uh later okay so we're going to jump into illumination here uh that's what we're we're caught up now this is the notes that we're on illumination um Illumination, uh, the term here that I have down here, it says the work of the Holy Spirit whereby he gives the reader or hearer understanding as scripture is heard or read. Essentially, in, the illumination factor is where the Holy Spirit is, is working to, to make sure that you understand scripture correctly. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about why is this necessary. First of all, um, we have one here that we have finite minds. Now keep in mind that uh, scripture is inspired revelation from God. Um, and I know that last time I talked about this, I think we, we confused people. There's this issue that, you know, in, as humans, our, our knowledge is tied directly to this world. You know, the four-dimensional space-time continuum, that's what we know. But God exists outside of that. Remember Alan talks about there's the box of created reality. And then there's a, then God's just simply outside of it. He's not created, so he's not bound by any of those things within that. But we know, based on all the stuff that's in the box, we know based on, although I hate to use the word box because it gets this Newtonian idea. Anyway, though, uh, it's very important that God reveals himself in it. Okay? But keep in mind, he's revealing himself, but he's outside of it. He's not bound by any of the realities that are so clearly tied to our knowledge. So it's very important. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't reveal himself. Just like um, we talked about uh, the idea of, of some things are eternal and, and huge. doesn't mean we can't talk about them in finite words. But it means that we, we just can't capture them fully. You know? So I could say, I could talk about my relationship to my, to my wife. I could give propositional statements about her. 
Okay, I could say um, she has brown hair, she likes the color red, I could tell you how she likes her coffee, and we could go through all that. Those are propositional statements. That does not nowhere near do justice to how Christy feels about the color red or anything like that, but it's still true. Um, on a much grander scale, here we have God the Father, and when we say that God is uh, powerful, well, I mean, he's so beyond what we can even understand as power in our universe. But that doesn't make it not true. Uh, and that's where some of the emergent church guys want to say, oh, well, see, it's just bad to use words to describe God because, see, you're never going to get it right. And, and no, it can still be right. We just simply don't have brains big enough. That just It doesn't mean that it's an incorrect term, uh, especially if God uses it about himself. Okay? So we need the Holy Spirit, though, because we have finite minds, because our understanding is limited. The Holy Spirit has to be at work as we're reading Scripture to help us understand it clearly. Um, you know, the Scripture talks about how the Word of God and the Gospel is foolish to those who, uh, who don't believe. Uh, it's because the Holy Spirit is not there helping them out. Um, although in certain situations, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, so that makes sense. Because we have finite minds, it is necessary that the Holy Spirit is working with us uh, in, in the process of reading scripture. Now, let's read on here. It says, also, we have a fallen sinful nature. Here's the bottom line reality. Everybody has an axe to grind. Um, you know, people try to talk about uh, not having bias, fair and balanced reporting, um, and certainly we can strive towards it. We can get as best as we can, but the bottom line reality is we are fallen, we are sinful, and so we are selfish. And so we are going to, by nature, want to interpret anything especially scripture, in the most selfish way possible. And the reality is we simply can't interpret it correctly without the Holy Spirit's work. Um, now, we could have a certain level of understanding where we, where we get it right, quote-unquote, but, um, but we might not understand the significance. You could, um, somebody told me about, uh, I was reading a quote, where Rudolf Bultmann, liberal theologian, goes through this wonderful exegesis of Romans and is explaining all these things. Then he gets done, he's like, but I don't believe any of it. He had a certain level of knowledge. He could put it together, but he certainly didn't understand the significance of it. Um, and so he, and so then Rudolf Boltman, of course, as much knowledge as he had of the subject, he found a way to reinterpret it based on his uh, presuppositions, his selfish presuppositions. Pretty scary. Uh, so this is where I want to cautiously say we, we have a lot of teachers, quote unquote, teachers in the, in the Christian realm that, um, that have a whole lot of different opinions on some core theological topics. Now, there are some things that are a little bit detailed. They're not hills worth dying on. Um, but when it comes to the truth of the gospel, if someone has misunderstood that, then there is this large question of like, wait a minute, do you have the Holy Spirit's help? and understanding. If not, there's a problem. Um, so this doesn't mean that if you misunderstand something that you don't have the Holy Spirit or anything like that, but it means that He has to be there guiding the process of your knowledge. Um, and just like sanctification, you might not get it at first, but He is there helping you through this process, helping you understand. Yeah? With regard to the illumination by the Holy Spirit into us as individuals when we are in the Word, uh, He... This is a question, although it sounds like a statement. He illuminates us individually with certain revelation 
one a familiar scripture that jumps out at us that doesn't hasn't necessarily happen the same way for my sister or brother in Christ who reads the same scripture because it's individual illumination. Uh, you, you know, there's one. I want to agree, but I want to tweak it, and make sure that there's a clarity for everybody. Because I think I know exactly where you're going. Uh, we can be reading the same passage. Um, and the truth is, within a verse, there can be a lot of statements of truth. And um, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit can, can certainly illuminate, and there's an aspect of it that's like, wow, it might hit uh, Tara a certain way, and it might hit Barry another way. And there's not a contradiction. Right, it's not a different, but, but there can be where, you know, I might be reading uh, God so loved, you know, John 14... John 14, 6. Uh, okay, we'll go with that. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is talking. Um, somebody might really get into this whole thing of like, man, he is the only way. and We really need to talk about that. And you might, you might strike somebody at one point. Wow, that's the Holy Spirit really reminded me of the fact that like, hey, I need to only trust in him. And I need to not, you know, buddy with these liberal theologians that say you can get there another way. Somebody else might read the same passage and talk about like how life is found in him. And two things, I mean, it's, they're both there, but sometimes I believe the Holy Spirit can work and, and there's this, you know, emphasis that like, wow, I needed to know that. And he reminded me of that. And that's, by the way, I think part of the work of the illumination is that sometimes he's just reminding you of something you already know. And he's bringing it to light in a certain situation, as we see with conviction. Yeah. To give a, a really specific example of why I said that, a few moments ago when you were on, we have finite minds, and you were giving certain examples. And you were talking about how we can say that God has power or God, you know, is power and, and yet we can't truly comprehend what that, how big that really, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I was sitting here thinking, oh, yeah, because if you write P-O-W-E-R on the blackboard, just small letters, and ask us what, we, we would probably give basically our answers as to what we say power is. But then I was thinking, but you at least have to have a capital P. And then I was thinking, but that's not enough. Then you have to underline it. No, that's not. Then you have to boldface it, underline it. Then you have to write it big. Then you have to write it so big that it can't fit on the board. And then, you, you know, it's like that was illumination for me. It's like exponentially powerful beyond any kind of way we could depict it is the omnipotence of God. And mm. for me, that was illumination. It was like seeing the same scripture, or in this case, the same word that I used for God among umpty others, but it took on an illumination for me as I was sitting here thinking. I would say that that's a pretty good example of how, you know, and, and you weren't direct, a direct verse, but still a truth about God, that, that you, you were really in the process of meditation. And the Holy Spirit is kind of like, hey, you know, let's take this a little bit further and a little bit further. And you, you get this, and eventually you came to this conclusion, like, well, it's just so big. Um, it's just beyond us. Um, but it's interesting that that's really, huh, well, I can tie things back to small groups, to life groups really well. That's one of the things we want to talk about is in that process of life, how we're meditating on Scripture. We don't just know the facts, but we're meditating. We're letting, we're letting the Holy Spirit, like, you know, beat us with it. It's great. Um, so anyway, this is good stuff. Uh, the last thing I have on here is that the enemy is seeking to deceive us. Uh, that's uh, scary. 
Uh, and and we've, we've, you know, we can talk about that, how he is really working hard at this. He's trying to make sure that we screw things up or that we miscommunicate the gospel. Uh, and it's necessary that the Holy Spirit is there uh, working with believers, illuminating the truth. Um, so, anyway, more on that. So, illumination is necessary. What I would like to do... Now, one thing that I want to point out, there's not a lot of just deep, deep teaching all throughout the New Testament on what illumination is. There's not a whole lot of different views on it. Uh, when you talk about views of inspiration, some of them spill over and they try to say it's just illumination, as we talked about last week, remember? Um, but illumination is a separate thing, and, and in and of itself, it's not, there's not huge amounts of teaching on it. It's certainly there. But, um, so what I wanted to do is look at a couple of key passages uh, in relation both to the non-believer and the believer. Could I just get a couple of people, could I get somebody to look up 1 Corinthians 2.14? Anybody want to volunteer? Yeah, Julia. And then actually, could you do then uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4? 4? And uh, could I get somebody to do John 16.7? Perfect. All right. And uh, as they're looking, does somebody want to do 1 Corinthians 2, 10, and 12? Okay. And um, I need somebody to do 1 Corinthians 3, 2. Anybody? Thanks, Tara. And then uh, John 16, 13 through 15. Perfect. All right. Uh, does our uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 person have it? Go for it, Julia. The man who has the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerning. Hmm. Uh, so the man without the Spirit simply cannot understand fully. Now, maybe can have knowledge of, but that, that understanding that, that comes to the level of, of acceptance you know, certainly can't happen. We talk about this, um, and we'll get more into it in soteriology, um, but the bottom line is humanity is depraved. We're evil. And our minds are, are bent towards evil. And really, and in, involved in that, I think, is misunderstanding. And it's necessary that the Holy Spirit illuminates it for us to get it. Um, so, in order to understand Scripture... So, then the question comes, in order to understand Scripture, do I have to be a believer? Yes. But, um, we need to talk about the issue of uh, conviction for the non-believer. Because there is a sense in which, in a, in a moment, he is illuminating everything we get it. And remember we talked about regeneration and how all these things kind of happen all at once in a moment. That you get a clear understanding of your sin your, and all this stuff. <clears throat> Um, that, that there is a place where he has to illuminate to the non-believers so that they get it so that they can accept it. But that kind of happens all at once. and I don't want to split the hairs too much on that. All right, who is the next uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4? 4? Go ahead. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hmm. Blinded the minds. Now, this even goes beyond mere human depravity, I would say, to where like he is working. Oh, it's part of human depravity, but he—I mean—he has actively worked to make it impossible for them to understand the blinded mind. Uh, which this is where um, you can have. I'll get to you in just a second. Sorry. This is where um, uh, Dr. Habermas, good theologian, he goes and does these debates with atheists in all these different places. And he goes through. He has this wonderful defense on the resurrection. Um, and he has like five points, and he'll, he can get that, the, his opponent to say, okay, point one, you know what, yeah, you're right about that. And then it takes it to point two, and he's like, yep, yep. And he gets him to affirm all five of these. So he has just affirmed the gospel. 
Okay, right there, boom, he has just accepted it. And so then Dr. Habermas is like, well, would you like to accept Christ? And he says, never in those times has, has anybody said, well, yeah, let's do that. He was able to bring about an argument to prove a point, but the Holy Spirit had not necessarily brought him to that decision. So that meant then that like, the blinded mind could still acknowledge all the facts and still not want to accept. Pretty interesting. Um, yeah? This brings to mind something I saw on the paper at LCC, the poster incident with the atheist of America, or was it the group that put the poster up? I'm not familiar. I thought it was very misleading, and I've seen pictures like that before of Jesus' brother kissing him and thought nothing of it. That, you know, that, hmm. it, it, it brings to mind that they are blind. Hmm. There wasn't an opposing poster. <laughs> there, was, there wasn't another table of Christians, you know, to oppose the poster. It, it, yeah. Which that brings up with the uh, with this new atheism thing that we've seen with Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusions. There's about two or three other guys that are writing. Uh, the mood of atheism has changed. Um, we're kicking their tails academically. We are ripping them to shreds, and it is beautiful. Um, and what's happened? You have this act of desperation from from the atheistic realm. I don't want to say we're absolutely because there are certainly brilliant men who still deny. God's existence, and uh, but we have we have made some wonderful advances, um, and I mean, atheists who have been known, Anthony Flew, he changes his mind. He says, you know what, I'm a theist. It's just where the evidence leads, and so we have kind of this mood of uh, desperation, and in, in in the atheistic realm, and so what we're seeing with the uh, with the new atheism, especially where once atheism was on this kind of high horse, academics were like, oh well, you know, we're, we're atheists, we know. Are smart. You guys are not as smart because you're not atheists. And uh, they have kind of this. There was there was this time where it was kind of cool. And well, now that the academic realm, we've kind of taken some ground. There's some nervousness there. And so what you're seeing with the atheistic movement now is much more. Well, Christianity is dangerous. Um, and they're making see see all these all these wars that are happening. They're bad. They're bad. We got to get rid of the Christians. And, and that's really uh, Richard Dawkins um, is pushing that line of like it's kind of that. First stage before we say, ah, oh, let's let's throw them to the lions. Um, or not for it's one of the stages in that process, not to scare everybody. But um, I think that those kind of things like that are, are an act of desperation because there's no there is no solid logical connection there. It's just hyperbole. It's just making noise. It's upsetting people, and unfortunately, people can be turned because they're like, oh man, this person's really smart and they're really mad about this, so they must have a reason. Well, the reason is that we're winning. So yeah. Um, this was just um, I was kind of having I'm kind of having a problem connecting these two thoughts that God would blind the mind of people and yet not want anyone to be lost. What it never says that God blinded the mind. What did it say? I'm sorry, she just read it. The God of the age. Yeah. The That's the enemy. Oh. Yeah. That's all right. No, it's cool. Uh, God has hardened. Yeah, there's some things on that. Uh, huge debate. And you know what? Well, we're getting into the Calvinism de- debate, which we're going to hit really hard. Uh, there are certain, certainly places where God um, 
hardened, like he hardens Pharaoh's heart. And some people say, well, that was after Pharaoh already had made a decision and sinned, and so God hardened his heart. Um, he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. So, it's within his plan. Uh, you know. No, it's all right. No, you're all right. You, brought up, you still brought up a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't feel bad. That's why we have this plan. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. When you're talking about Pharaoh's heart being hardened and how that works, and I think about people in my own life who have heard the gospel and the guys that heard the five different sentences um, and all five different arguments of the belief. There's something to that when somebody is exposed and hears the gospel clearly and rejects it. Do you think that they go deeper into darkness? I mean, because they just, people in my life that have heard it and they're almost there. There's probably some debate on that, but I think with anything, I mean, it can be an, a, a disagreement between two people. When somebody, have you ever kind of gotten that place where, like, I've been in arguments where I knew I was wrong. I get more adamant and I get more kind of bitter when I know I'm wrong, but I'm like, I got to fight it all the harder. I, I, I think that's just a, I don't whether there's a theological reality behind that or not. I think that that's, that happens. But then we have where God sometimes, according to his plan, he hardens hearts. He did that with Pharaoh. I think that's a very rare, you don't see it very often talked about in Scripture, but he's done it. And I always rely back on the thing, he's God, he can do what he wants. Yes, it all comes back to his glory. Yeah. Oh, and that's the reality we have to get back to. Now, um, we need to be, first of all, we have to remember, first of all, God is good. Whatever, He is, He's doing good. Yeah, well, you could say that. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah, which we're still getting into the thing of like, well, God could do whatever, you know, He could make Him feel good. But we need to remember this, that the point of the universe is not to get the most people saved possible. The point is for Him to be glorified as much as possible. And so, um, it's hard to think about the fact that it might not... I mean, there's a sense in which he wants everybody to be saved, but he wants to be glorified as much as possible. But when he glorifies himself in those kind of ways, more people are saved they see. Oh, you mean in, the, in ways of judgment? Like, like with, the, um, with Pharaoh. You know, when, all, when the people saw all the judgment... How, that could work so hard, you know. Anyway, even like Pharaoh Harvey and Art, they see what God is. That's yeah. That's, you know, and I think God still works with all that. Well, still go through this plan, even though. Yeah, because he's showing that he's powerful against man. That man's not more powerful. No. But you said it doesn't really matter. You know, it's not really the question that people get saved. It's the glorification of God, which I agree with. That. Hold on. You know what? We're getting way outside <laughs> what we're talking about. Let me uh, let me end with this. Yeah, and there's a sense in which like we're not, but we he's made us key players by his decision, by his choice, and so we can't. It would be folly to say that we're merely footnotes when he has put us. He has chosen. But on the other hand, hmm, 
he could make us nothing at all. And so that's so we need to move on though because we've gotten so far outside of our. It, it, it relates, but I want to be cautious. Very last one. Yeah. Hey, can we have uh, direction, directed comments this way? Yeah. What the atheist also said is that the Christians removed parts of the Bible that spoke about God being homosexual. So that's the kids are like, oh, wow. It is so ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. We're going to get into this with bibliology. But, the, but when we bring up the level of support that we have for the first century documents that we call the New Testament, they're overwhelming. And you have these ridiculous things like the Gospel of Thomas that shows up over 200 years after, uh, after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so to say we're being me- well, we would have to compromise our intellectual integrity in order to accept those. We would have to compromise rules of first century documentation. Um, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, could we, we need to keep, try to keep the comments going directed in one thing because people are having difficulty hearing. All right, um, we are into then, let's read John 16, 7 through 11. So who was it that had that? I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. And if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands in doubt. Hmm. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit's work in conviction. Not only for conviction so that, hey, you're going to be judged, convicted. But also for the sake of drawing people to him. Because what, when we talk about that, until we understand our, the weight of our sin, we are not going to see the need for the Savior. Um, and so we talked about that work in regeneration, how that has to happen. Um, let's go to his work in illuminating for the believer. Uh, could somebody, who's got our 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12? Go ahead. Hmm. Interesting. So I, I like in, in the first passage you read talking about the Holy Spirit uh, is the one who knows thoughts of God. And, uh, and so that just, I think, gives some evidence as why it's so key that he is helping us in understanding him. Does that make sense? Cool. Who had... Um, who had John sixteen thirteen through 15? Yes. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Talks about the importance of the Holy Spirit in the work of teaching. Um, could you read that again? There, were, there was some rich stuff in there that really affects a lot of things. Could you read that one more time? However, whenever he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but he will... 
but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is of mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Key words there are teaching and glorification. He talked about he's going to guide you in all truth. He's going to teach. And then he talks about that he will glorify me, which is a, a key thing. The Holy Spirit's role. Jim talked about this one week. Right? It was as if like the Holy Spirit kind of points back to Jesus. Um, and Jim didn't like a little illustration of that. Uh, that is, I would argue, the key work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify God. Um, but especially in, in the age that we're in, to draw attention to Christ and the gospel. And uh, so that's, that's kind of a key thing, too. When we see the Holy Spirit being represented as something that does other things, or, or maybe, maybe we could say that when the emphasis becomes less about the work of Christ, we might have a problem in our view of the Holy Spirit. Um, now, certainly, he does more than just illumination. We've talked about that. It's conviction and so many other things. And, and we certainly have the gifts of the Spirit. Um, but anytime we see even uh, the miraculous gifts working in the book of Acts or wherever, um, that those, those are in some way resulting back in the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, I am not making a judgment, but I'm making a comment that anytime we see... Um, quote-unquote, gifts of the Spirit used in such a way where the attention is on merely the gifts and it doesn't result in the proclamation of the gospel and the salvation of human beings, it should be called into question greatly. So, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on beyond that. We just did, we just talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit's work, um, very slightly, of what, what He does, call it that, and we, we just did a little act of discernment where we just said, hmm, if the Holy Spirit's role is to glorify God, draw attention to Christ, teach about truth, then maybe if he's represented as doing all these other things over here, and those things don't relate back to the proclamation of the gospel, we call it into question. There's a little bit of discernment there. So I'm going to roll right into discernment. Uh, we have about ten minutes, and, and honestly, illumination and discernment are two things we pretty much say, here's what they are, the Holy Spirit does them, here's where he does them. There's not a whole lot of other things to be said about it. So um, let's look at discernment a little bit. Discernment is the work of the Holy Spirit whereby he directs the believer in decisions about gifts, spirits, actions, intents, culture, etc. Uh, now, remind you, it, it, it said in, uh, in the John uh, 16, 13 through 15 passage that he directs us in all truth, um, which certainly focuses on the gospel, but he, he is there to give us wisdom. He is there to uh, kind of protect God discernment. Uh, so let's look a little bit. Um, I wanted to mention, while discernment is a work of the Spirit, it is directly related to knowledge. And why do you think I'm mentioning this today? Why am I talking about discernment and emphasizing the necessity of knowledge? Why would I bring that up? Why wouldn't I just say that that's isn't that natural, or is it not? Yes? There's a lot of knowledge out there, but uh, it takes a certain Yes, there's, there's, uh, there's that knowledge requires some wisdom, discernment. Yeah, uh, Samia, did you have your hand up as well? Oh, oh, you were you were agreeing. Yeah, Juliet. Well, illumination is lighting up the word so you can get knowledge. But yeah, yeah, um, I'd want to make sure. I, I like to split the hairs so that 
people don't ever misquote me, or they will anyway, but it's worth trying. Yeah. I have many friends that say that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God, but they don't believe it. Huh. That's interesting. In the same way, if you read the passage that tells us that, the spiritually discerns and see it, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no question. Yeah. These can't see it, they're not discerned. Note how already we're tying in the illumination to discernment a little bit. Because they, they, they do kind of go together a little bit. Um, I want to make a couple of comments. Uh, first of all, a lot of times in, in the realm that we live in, we have put so much of the, the, I think the effect of liberal theology, whatever, there is so much emphasis on emotion and on feeling. And that's important. God has given us emotions. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. And normally, though, they are a reaction to the work, like, to the work of God or to just various things. It's wonderful. God's given it. Um, but we made that emphasis that feeling, we don't know God based on our feelings. We know God and we have feelings about that. Okay, does that make sense? It doesn't make the emotions evil or bad. The emotions just are. What's happened is with the work of Friedrich Schleiermacher, we had a theologian who came along and said, well, we can't know facts about God, so I'm just going to base everything I know about God on my feelings. Uh, it becomes very dangerous. We've seen this kind of spill over into people's understanding of discernment. Um, and so, uh, for instance, um, I, I played in a, in a rock and roll band for a while. We were a little scary. Um, but we loved God. We had solid message of the gospel in there. Well, I'm, I, I'm going around trying to like get places for us to play. And I, I call a church that I grew up in. Not my parents' church, but even before my dad was a pastor of this church. And I, I, knew, I knew the youth pastor there, and I'm talking to him, and I'm like, hey, this is what we do, this is our ministry, I speak in between, and if you would ever like us to come play at your youth group. Well, he gets kind of excited. He's like, man, that would be really cool. Our youth would love it. It would be really great. And we're going on and on. I gave him a copy of the CD. He was the senior pastor. Now, this is a church that emphasized feeling a bit too much and de-emphasized Theological understanding. De-emphasize knowledge, to be truthful. Um, and so he plays this CD to the pastor, and his first reaction, he's like, I'm a little concerned of the hardness of the music. Okay, and I can realize that some people just aren't comfortable with that. But then he tells me this story. He says, well, we had this situation at the church where there was a, a little bit harder band playing, and they were godly and nice, but people in the church uh, discerned that it was demonic, And so they go and, like, show up and are, like, trying to cast out demons out of the band. It was a bad situation. Well, that's, um, that was, they had an emotional reaction towards, this is not something I'm used to. This kind of makes me nervous. This is different. And so then there was a, there was a reaction to that. Now, maybe, it's very possible that you can say, well, you know what, maybe, maybe it was not the right band to have playing there or something like that. But the emotional reaction did not mean that that was a, um, that was something that was evil. The discernment has to be tied to knowledge. We might have feeling. The feeling might even be a result of your knowledge. But we understand that like, the discernment should tie back to knowledge somehow. That there should be this thing that says, wait a minute. There's a principle in Scripture here that just doesn't seem to be lining up. Or, or maybe there's, there's an attitude here that doesn't seem... There, there is some connection to knowledge. So could I get somebody to read Proverbs 14.6? Is anybody already there? Go for it, Barry. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to him who has understanding. Knowledge is which Now, what I'm trying to bring about here is that the two are mentioned together. Um, we're just citing it. But here, we talked about knowledge and wisdom right in that same passage. Uh, somebody, Proverbs 15, 14. 
Go for it. The heart of him that has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Some translations use understanding and uh, believe wisdom there. Um, that's cool. There was uh, also Philippians 1.9. I wanted to have somebody Philippians 1.9. All we're going through is seeing that the two seem to be mentioned often together. Go for it. And this is my turn that you're loving about more and more knowledge and depth and insight. Knowledge and depth and insight. Cool. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, this topic of discernment uh, because the, the fact is it's just we, we, we see it taught, it happens, there seems to be a connection to knowledge. It seems to be that the Holy Spirit, much in the same way that he illuminates scriptural truth to us, he reminds us of it in certain situations to kind of discern. Um, so we're going to go through this little thing. A lot of people talk about decision making. Uh, this big thing comes up about decision making and the will of God. Have you, you ever noticed that this is a, a pretty, pretty important topic in, in churches? People are like, well, what college should I go to? What this should I do? What that should I do? Um, so we have on here this little, uh, what, is this, what does discernment look like in decision making? Um, and I, I, wanted, I just wanted to go through this because I think we have elevated this um, hearing from God thing in a, in a way that is not necessarily always healthy. And uh, sometimes we get in these situations where we have so emphasized that I've got to be right inside God's will. And what if I sneeze and I didn't hear what he said and so I'm going to do this thing wrong? Uh, I think I might have told you all about it. I, went, I, I knew some people in a church that they, would, they literally they would drive into a town and they would pray about, should I turn left or turn right? And then they would pray about what restaurant to eat at, which is not necessarily wrong. And then they would pray about what food to eat, rather than just say, hey, I'm hungry for a hamburger. Um, and they were so worried that there was, there was some emphasis on, man, I could miss, I could eat the wrong meal and miss God's will somehow and have some devastating result. Okay, that's taken things, that's taken discernment to a whole other thing that's not discernment anymore. Um, so, what's that? That's paranoia. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, well, and what was, re- what, when it really got interesting is when people would say, well, God told me this and about you. And then you would say, well, wait a minute, he, he didn't tell me. And, and so you would have like women writing letters to guys and be like, God told me we're supposed to be together. And, uh, and, and so then you get this whole emperor's new clothes thing. You know, that whole idea that like, well, well, we're spiritual, so we gotta we gotta see it. And so you would have people saying, "Well, oh yeah, yeah, oh, God let me on that one too." You know, uh, that's that's not discernment. Um, God can certainly give wisdom. We see though, when when Paul specifically with the missionary journeys, he would be on the move and he would say, "I'm supposed to be spreading the gospel. I don't need anything else." I'm just going to go and preach the gospel. So he would go from one town to the next town to the next town, and he would preach the gospel, and whatever's in the next city, he'd just go there and preach the gospel, because that's all he needed. He didn't need any more discernment other than God said, spread the word. We need to dream about when he was supposed to go to Macedonia. Well, he had, but that was where I'm, I'm getting at. There were a couple times where when he was in, on the move, um, God would say, wait a minute, uh, how about over here? And there would be just a couple of times where God would kind of tweak the direction. But he didn't have to pray about every decision. He was on the move, and there was a couple of times where God said, wait a minute, this. Um, we don't need to sit in this fear that we're going to make some little mistake. So, so we, ask, we have to ask certain questions, though. Now, does this thing go against direct teaching of Scripture? No. That's a natural question. It should be the first question we ask when something like that comes up. Sometimes, even, before the, even without a decision coming up, sometimes we need to just evaluate. You know, we do things, we operate in a certain manner. Normally, for me, 
it's after I've already done it, somebody comes to me and they're like, I don't think that was good, Dan. And then I'm like, then I ask the question of the scripture and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that went against some pretty clear teaching. Um, it's interesting how this happens at gossip the most. To be truthful, when you're in that moment, it doesn't even seem wrong and you're doing all this stuff that's causing devastation. And then later, you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's not quite right, is it? Happens. Anyway, so the next question, though, should be, does this go against any principle implied in Scripture? Sometimes we have, as in the book of Acts, we have in the book of Acts is not a teaching on this is how you do it. The book of Acts gives a narrative of the beginning of the first century church and what all was happening. doesn't mean that if they do it in the book of Acts, we should do it. However, certain things they do, and it works out really well. Certain things they do, and it's not necessarily the best. But there is certainly something worthwhile in looking at the principle that is implied in some of these things. Okay? Doesn't mean that just like in the book of Acts, we sell our possessions and live in a commune together. But there are certain principles that happen occasionally in that process that cause us to say, whoa, wait a minute, there's something I know I shouldn't do. Or there's something that really ought to do. It might not be directly said, this is what's going on in Scripture, but when there's a principle, it's worth being applied. Does that make sense? It's part of the discernment process. Uh, so then the next question would be, have I sought counsel from wise believers? Um, you might get down to a decision. It's like, you know what? Am I going to go to Liberty University? Am I going to go to Cedarville? Of course, the answer is Liberty, but God doesn't show that to everybody all the time. Um, maybe you seek some counsel. Maybe you talk to somebody who's been to these. I'm, this sounds so non-spiritual right now, but I think it's necessary that we talk about this. Um, you go and you, you use the basic wisdom that God has given you and you talk to people who have been to that school and that school. You start thinking about what do I really want to study? What do I really want to do? And that's, that's discernment. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, we, we see in Proverbs where it says, man uh, makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Which is this idea that you have plans that you are, as long as you're operating in accordance with Scripture and you are making decisions the best as possible, the Holy Spirit is there guiding that process. It doesn't necessarily come in the form of Him saying, hey, this is what you need to do. It might just come in the form of, I'm just, I'm not, I know I'm not sinning and I'm trying to make the wisest decisions possible. And He takes care of you in that, in that process. Something that should be brought up though. We often, in the, in, the, in the thought process of discernment, we want things to happen a certain way. And so when something seems to work out a little bit, we want to say, ha ha, see, God is making this happen. And uh, I'll talk to people who are making decisions that, that really kind of a little bit go against some principle. You know, that they might, it might, they might have to break their word to somebody, but, ooh, look how God has opened up this wonderful opportunity, and I have to break this commitment over here that I've made and I gave my word to, but, but see, look what God's doing. Well, God, God's not gonna put you in a situation where you're going to have to break His law in order to do His will. He just won't do it. Um, so we try to elevate these situations like, ooh, look what God's doing here. See, look, his discernment and see somebody confirm this to me and this happened and I see how everything's working in detail, but wait a minute, you're having to compromise Scripture to do that. Sounds so simple, but let me tell you, this is a huge issue right now in our church. People make decisions where they, they think they're doing the most discerning, wonderful thing and they get all these warm fuzzies about it. But they're going against scriptural principle or even direct scriptural teaching, and they want to just kind of push that aside. They want to make that look like, oh, well, that's not a big deal. I'm, look, look at all this stuff God's affirming. Um, I think I might have told this story, but um, when I was a little kid, and I, that church that I was talking about, 
um, and everything is very feeling. And God told me this, God told me that. I had this camouflage sweatsuit that I wore with my G.I. Joe t-shirt that I loved. And I had to be in camouflage all the time because I was always certain that, like, you know, the Soviet Union was going to attack and it was going to be up to the five-year-olds with their pocket knives and G.I. Joe camouflage to defend everything. I was a weird kid. Um, and I loved this thing and I wore the knees out and I never would even take it off for my mom to wash it. Okay? And we're going to this birthday party for a friend of mine or something and my mom specifically said, you can't wear this. We're, you're going to wear nicer clothes. We're going to wash these clothes. And uh, I go with this thing. I'm like, well, they do it at church. I'm like, well, so I put on the put on the sweatsuit I'm not supposed to wear, and I'm talking to my grandma, you know, did to do walking around. I'm like, you know, mom and dad told me I can't wear this, but God told me that I could. <laughs> I think I'm being really spiritual. I think everything. And uh, I got in trouble, and I'm thankful. There are parents in certain that would not have. They would have been like, oh, okay. My parents, unfortunately, were smart enough to be like, no, what's ridiculous? God's not going to do that. So, anyway, um, we are running out of time here. Uh, I have on here praying for wisdom and discernment in the matter. Um, just, uh, we're, I'm giving practical things because what I'm trying to do is de-elevate this cushy-feely feeling about discernment. Discernment plays in with just the natural rubber meets the road day-to-day life. Um, we apply biblical principle, and that's just how it is. Um, there, I have one here, uh, just for your reference, discernment as a spiritual gift. We will be talking, Alan will be talking about spiritual gifts. There is this idea of discerning of spirits that really gets into a little bit different realm than regular discernment. So I'm just mentioning that today. Um, we're not going to cover it in detail until uh, spiritual gifts, but I wanted to mention it since it has the word discernment. Uh, I'm going to pray. You all have a wonderful week. Thank you for being a great class. Father, thank you for the chance to get together with this class. Thank you for the things that you are doing uh, in this church. I pray that you would make us, and, and specifically the people in this class who are seeking knowledge of you so much, God, I pray that that would trickle down. I pray that the people in this class would make positive impact in our church. I pray that you would give them a hunger to, to spread your word and converse with people and teach in certain ways. And, and God, I pray that you would put the people in this class in key positions where the information and the knowledge and the discipleship that has come through this class can be uh, dispersed throughout this church. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week.